and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And I'm Jeff Schutze. And Jeff, so much has happened in the world of yep. animation since the last episode. It is astounding. So, we're, so much news. Oh my gosh. So we're just going to get right into this. First off, there is going to be a massive Hollywood studio antitrust lawsuit payout beginning July 9th. So this is breaking news as reported by the Animation World Network. Basically, this is a settlement in a class action lawsuit that was filed back in December 2014 on behalf of animation and VFX workers. It's going to be paid out between July and August. So a complaint was filed by lighting artist Georgia Kano character effects artist Robert Nitsch and production engineer David Wentworth. And basically what they were doing was they're accusing the studios of suppressing wages since 2004. And basically they're alleging that the studios were refusing to cold call employees and sharing news of job offers. And the suit is basically contending that George Lucas, Ed Catmull, and several other studio heads were colluding to basically suppress wages and to make sure that they were not poaching employees from other studios, which is illegal. You're, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to suppress wages. You're not allowed to not let people go from one studio to another. So this is a massive settlement payout. Uh, Blue Sky will be paying out $5.9 million. Sony Imageworks will be paying out $13 million. DreamWorks Animation will be paying $50 million. And Disney agreed to pay $100 million. Wow in this settlement. So there's going to be several distributions and to find out more information, you can check out the website for the animation workers antitrust litigation. And we'll put that in the show notes because this is very important. Basically, mm -hmm. if you were working at any of the major studios, essentially from 2004 to about 2014, you're probably going to be getting some back pay. Mm -hmm. So this is huge. Yeah. It's huge, and it's just so disappointing hearing all the details about it because mainly they were colluding to keep the money from these animators. And, I mean, it would be horrible in any industry, but there's so much blood, sweat, and tears that go into making these films that, ugh, really sad to hear about this. Yeah, I have to say, though, congratulations to the whistleblowers because mm -hmm. that is a scary thing to do. It's a hard yeah. thing to do, as we've seen with the Me Too movement and other things going on where people are having to report very important information about people that have a lot of power and are very high up. It's not an easy thing to do. People lose their jobs. They lose their livelihoods over this kind of thing. Hopefully the people that brought the suit are still employed. I have not met them personally. I don't know, as far as I know, anybody who has met them but I'm hoping that they still have vibrant careers in the industry after this, because this is a big deal. They're making sure that people get paid and people deserve to get paid. And yeah. I highly recommend if you are in the union, especially, you know, going back to a conversation we had previously, know what your pay should be. Mm -hmm. You know, don't just, because I've been talking to people lately where you know, if you're coming out of school and the only job you've had has been in retail or food service and then somebody offers you a position and they offer you a certain amount of money and you think, oh, that's a great amount of money, I'll take it. And you don't research, not realizing that, no, they should be paying you X amount according to union rules or whatnot. 
this is a little different than you know the antitrust thing, but just know what you should be getting paid. Mm -hmm. And congratulations to these folks for realizing, hey, we're not getting paid what we should, and not only us, but potentially thousands of other people. Yeah, yeah. I hope the money gets to the right people that it needs to get to, and it doesn't get absorbed into lawyers' fees or anything else. You I know? hope so too, because yeah. law that is no joke. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive. And then on the heels of that, SAG-AFTRA is seeking a TV animation strike authorization. So this comes from Variety. So basically they're not, SAG-AFTRA is not striking. What they're basically doing is they put together a group that's calling on the streaming platforms to renegotiate contracts so that voiceover actors that are working within the animation industry are getting paid what they deserve. They're not getting their residuals from places like Amazon and Netflix and whatnot, and they're not happy about it. So the union is going to be having informational meetings in both LA and New York on July 10th to talk about this. So if you're part of SAG-AFTRA, make sure that you check in on this. And the campaign is backed by a number of very high-ranking people. These are names that you guys know, Pamela Adlon, Ed Asner, Nancy Cartwright, Nick Kroll, Lorraine Newman, Patton Oswalt, and many, many more. And it involves more than 20 animated series. Yeah, I think this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue with voice actors. And I think that's great because they do provide a performance that you could not get with just someone, you know, that it's not an art form to them. I know this is a big thing going on in the video game industry as well where people just aren't getting residuals, they aren't getting paid their fair share of these franchises like Call of Duty and a bunch of the other ones that just are making millions, if not billions of dollars for these companies. So it's about time, I think. I think so too. So I'm really glad that they're taking up the mantle and we will report more as things go. Hopefully they'll be able to renegotiate their contracts without mm -hmm. striking and without having to not be able to work, right. but we will see. Yeah. Yeah, this will probably be going on all summer, so mm -hmm. we will report back on that. So the next news item is that Disney is shutting down Disney Toon Studios. And I know a lot of our listeners will know that studio for a bunch of direct-to-video titles like The Lion King 1.5, Stitch Has a Glitch, which I love, Mulan 2, Bambi 2, The Fairies franchise, and Planes and Planes Fire and Rescue, which both got theatrical releases. It was also previously known before as Disney Movie Tunes, uh, which was known for DuckTales movie, The Return of Jafar, and I know you like this next one, the Goofy movie. I love a Goofy movie. <laughs> the movie is so fantastic. And the DuckTales movie, I have to say, yeah. was very, very good. That was great. Yeah, so, you know, we're sad for all the animators that could potentially be out of work with this, but the reason is... Because the straight to Blu-ray slash DVD market isn't as profitable as it once was. So it kind of makes sense. But I had a question that with Disney launching its own streaming service soon, we keep hearing about it, wouldn't it have made sense to keep the studio around to make content for that? Or, you know, possibly Disney is transitioning some of those artists over to Walt Disney Animation to work on other content. I don't know, but I would assume that's happening. Yeah, I would hope that that is happening. I'm sure that there's something in place for folks. I'm wondering, too, because I know that a lot of it 
some of the articles that we read, they were talking about, you know, in wake of John Lasseter and whatnot. And I'm sure that does have a part to play, but it sounds like it might be less John Lasseter leaving and more just the environment for entertainment changing. But it still makes me very sad because we know right. people that work at Disney Tunes and mm -hmm. we want everybody to continue with their jobs. Right. So hopefully something good will come out of this. Yeah, hopefully. But it's always sad when you hear of a major mm -hmm. studio shutting down. Yeah. So our next news story is that Steve Ditko has passed away. Yes, so just continuing that trend of sadness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, on June 29th, he passed away, and he was age 90. Which is, I mean, the industry keeps you young. I mean, I'm very yeah. sad to hear about that. For those of you who are massive comic book fans, and even some of you that are maybe not as big as fans, here's why you may or may need to know about Steve Ditko. He co-created Spider-Man, mm -hmm. and he created Doctor Strange. Yeah. That's huge. He created a great deal of other titles as well. He was very well respected in the industry. He had just had amazing art, amazing mm -hmm. stories. He was also a bit of a recluse. He's That's been called the J.D. Salinger of comics. Mm -hmm. He pretty much kept to himself. He also, unfortunately, is, you know, this is kind of a familiar story. He had a falling out with Stan Lee, mm -hmm. as many folks at the time did, but... Mm -hmm. You know, apparently he was still creating art, creating writing, doing his own thing, you yeah. know, even after retiring from Marvel and the other comics companies. Yeah, I heard that Disney would mail him invitations to the premieres and they just wouldn't get a response. Mm -hmm. But I did hear that fans that would write him would sometimes get some kind of a incoherent scrawl or whatever oh, well, from that, him so yeah he was still responding to people yeah that's nice i, I read the same uh it's one of the same things in the hollywood reporter i mm -hmm. believe it was either the director or the producer of dr strange invited yeah. him to the movie and said you know we tried to keep it you know in line with the spirit of your work we right. hope you like it they don't know if he watched it but they hope that he approved which yeah. i thought was very heartwarming of yeah. Hey, they're acknowledging this man who created the character that they made this giant movie out of. Right. Yeah. But his contribution to the superhero genre in comics and in the movies now mm -hmm. was just huge. Yeah. And so, rest in peace. Yeah, so he will definitely be missed. This next news item I got from the Animation World Network. Audrey Deal, who was a 14-year veteran of Nickelodeon, who joined the Warner Brothers animation team as vice president last year... She was interviewed about the Animaniacs reboot that's coming in 2020. And Angela and I keep talking about how streaming is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. It's launching on Hulu, which Yay. I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to bring that up here. It already has a two-season straight-to-series order. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and Steven Spielberg has been brought back to be oh, yeah, the executive producer on the show. This makes me very happy because mm -hmm. I know that on uh, Rob Paulson's podcast, Talking Tunes, he was talking mm -hmm. about how he's involved with the show, but he hasn't yet revealed what his contribution is. Oh. I'm hoping it's Yako Warner and Pinky returning. We shall see. I know a couple of people are working on the show and they're super, super jazzed about it. And I'm really excited about it because that show is fantastic. And like you said, it's on Hulu, which I'm sure will bring in Hulu subscribers because there is yeah. nothing but goodwill towards that show 
That was my favorite show in eighth grade. Nice. My friend had one of those massive satellite dishes in her backyard, mm -hmm. and so we used to watch it at 3.30 in the afternoon with no commercial interruptions. Wow. And then we would watch it on regular broadcast TV immediately after, so we'd just watch it twice every day. It was great. <laughs> and we used to quote each other all the different That's characters. Great. I'm curious what they will do for the reboot, because I don't know if you've seen the original lately, but the 90s was a very different time. The jokes are still great, mm -hmm. but there's certain jokes that I did not catch as a child yeah. that as an adult, I'm watching it going, that's funny. I can't believe they got away with that. <laughs> How were they able to say this on network television yeah. at four in the afternoon in front of children? I wonder if they'll still be able to do things like that. So. I doubt it. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's on Hulu. Could you be. know, yeah. different, slightly different standards, maybe. I'm not quite sure what the rules are for children's programming on streaming services if it's as tight as it is on, like, Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network or Disney Channel or, like, ABC or Fox. You know, that's interesting that you bring that up because in this interview, I thought one of the one of the important things that she talks about is how streaming has opened up what the industry can do for animation. And let me give you a quote here. She says, quote, 20 years ago, mostly the animation was going for the kids networks. And now I think it's opening up so we can make animation for other audiences. But we want our content to break through and show that animation can work for any genre and any audience. It's not just for kids. It's not just families. It's not just college students which means that we need to make sure we're making things that are smart and interesting and engaging so that audiences will want to spend their time on them. Thank so, you. Yeah. That's, man, I need to plaster that quote on the wall. <laughs> I thought that was a really it. good thing to say. You that know? is beautiful because that's so true. Mm -hmm. Like I think often to one of Brad Bird's quotes, which is animation is not a genre. Animation mm -hmm. can be anything. And Audrey gets it. It really can't. You can tell any story. Right. To any audience. Yeah. In any genre. It's just people often don't. Yeah. So that's encouraging to hear. I'm glad that she's setting this up. Yeah. And very exciting that, you know, and it shows the animation world is still expanding here. And it's just another sign that it's a great time to be in animation right now. Absolutely. And yeah. speaking of being in animation and animation expanding, you've got some big news here. Yes. Okay. So the big news... According to BoxOfficeMojo.com, The Incredibles 2, quote, became the first animated title to ever top 500 million at the domestic box office, end quote, which is incredible. That's, that's <laughs> crazy. That, I mean, I'm very impressed by that, but there's live action movies with incredible pedigree directors yeah. and actors that don't make that. So you have, you know, this incredible pedigree of people working on this movie. You have Brad Bird, obviously. Mm -hmm. You have Craig T. Nelson. Mm -hmm. You have Holly Hunter. I mean, you just have all these people, all the animators and writers and producers and storyboard artists and lighting and visual effects and everything. So And all this buildup yes. from the first film that people love. Mm -hmm. And this was the sequel people wanted. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pixar's done some, I have to give them credit where credit is due. It's hard to make a good sequel. A mm -hmm. lot of sequels are terrible. I feel like Pixar has a pretty good track record yeah. with sequels. Mm -hmm. Toy Story 2, mm. Toy Story 3, those are really good. Yeah. I like those a lot, you know? So you kind of expect nothing less. And I know that the bar was just set ridiculously high because, oh, it's Brad Bird. Oh, it's Pixar. Yeah. Oh, it's the Incredibles. So I know people just 
we're just rabid going into this. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that the movie's doing really well. Yeah, me too. Another box office, you know, hit for Disney is the Ant-Man sequel, The Ant-Man and the Wasp, which debuted to around $76 million domestically, which is $20 million higher than the first film. Oh, really? Yeah, but nice. it was a bit under projections because they were thinking 80, 85 million. Oh. But I know I saw it and the I think the heat wave in LA, which is a big box office market, kept people at home because when I went to the Burbank Theater, it was pretty empty as far as the entire media center was just no yeah. one was there. No and there's, one that area out. is usually packed with yeah. folks. So I think that maybe that could have accounted for that, you know, four or five million dollar discrepancy. I Probably because yeah. for those who don't know, it was 120 degrees mm-hmm. this weekend. Yeah. So. I imagine people just went, if we go outside, we will die, so we will stay indoors and not roast. Right, right, yeah. So mm-hmm. it had a great cinema score, so people are loving this movie, and it's just going to make a lot internationally as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like it's a bomb. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing it, because mm-hmm. I love Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, so yeah. they're a fun group of people. Oh, I yeah. like Paul Rudd since Clueless and Evangeline Lilly since Lost, yeah. which I contend is still an excellent show, and I love the ending. <laughs> that out there anyway no comment <laughs> no comment on that. <laughs> yes and now for some for some really very good and personal news nickelodeon has officially greenlit the spin-off from the loud house those casa grandes Ooh. it is officially a thing we're officially going to have a spin-off show we're all very excited at nick about this it's been a long time coming they've been working on it for a very long time mm. y'all are gonna love it It's going to be great. We're very excited. So, yes, I don't know yet when it's set to premiere. That's going to be a while. But I'm very excited that we're having a brand new show. I love those characters. And Mm -hmm. every time they visit the Loud House family, it's just so much fun. I'm glad they're actually developing something from that. Yeah, we are too. We are too. It's going to be a, a whole other show, whole other crew. So it's really, really cool. So we're just super excited about mm-hmm. that. And I want to give a shout out to co-executive producer Mike Rubiner, who's also the co-executive producer on Loud House and the whole executive team because they've been working very, very hard, you guys, oh on God. getting everything together because it's hard to, it's hard enough working on one show, but working and developing on another show while you're also working on your main show, it's a lot of work and a lot of, you know, a lot of time. So I salute everybody that has been working on that because yeah. it's going to look great. Oh, so exciting. Cool. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to events. So there are some very cool events happening in the Los Angeles area within the next couple of weeks. So first off at Center Stage Gallery, they're doing Quick Sketch with Ron Husband. Ron Husband is a fantastic artist and animator. He worked at Disney for years and years and years. They're going to be doing various quick sketch studies around the Los Angeles area from now until August 11th. You can sign up for multiple sketch sessions. They're gonna be from 9 a.m. to noon, or you can just do one, you can do three, however many you wanna do. They're gonna be going to Glendale Galleria, the Los Angeles Zoo, and many other places. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. I had an opportunity to listen to Ron when he was at CTN a couple Mm. of years ago. He gave a really cool talk about his experiences, and it was really interesting. And I know a couple of people that are going to be doing the the quick sketch class. So if you have an opportunity, make sure to check that out. 
so another event coming up is Comic-Con, the San Diego Comic-Con. And that will be from Wednesday the 18th, which is preview night, to Sunday the 22nd. And, oh, it's coming up fast. I'm not ready. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am making merch. I'm trying to get right. But, yeah, it's exciting and it's going to be a good time. All of y'all should go to Jeff's booth because he's going to be selling some really cool t-shirts, including the Ramen House Cthulhu shirt. Yes. Which I've already ordered because it's great. Yep. So y'all should definitely check out that shirt. And he's going to be giving away buttons to the first 100 people? To, to the first 100 people, yes. Yeah. So that'll probably be gone by the end of the first real day. But I'm going to keep some behind the counter, probably like 10 or whatever, just for animated journey listeners yeah so, yeah so make sure to go and say hello and yeah. check out his comic and his t-shirts and buy all the stuff yeah i'll um, be in the web comic section number 1232 yeah and also just want to give a shout out to previous guest christine knopp who will also be exhibiting at the convention so make sure to check out her booth and she will have more information on where she's going to be located on her website so make sure to go and find her as well and then for august there's going to be two really cool events that are coming up. The first is at Gallery Nucleus. There's going to be a solo exhibition for Nathan Fausk. And Nathan is a concept artist who's worked in the animation industry and has a screen credit on 11 feature films. He's also worked for several video game studios. He also teaches a really cool class on schoolism.com. He's going to be at the opening night of the exhibition, which is on August 4th. There's free admission. There's no RSVP. All ages are welcome, and there's free refreshments. You guys, go and check this out. His paintings are beautiful, so make sure to stop by and say hello. And then on August 11th, they're going to be having, also at Gallery Nucleus, Legend of Korra Turf Wars book signing. So this is huge. So Brian Knetzko and Michael DiMartino, who are the co-creators of Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, will be in attendance along with Irene Ko, who is the comic book artist for Turf Wars. And tickets are going to be available on Eventbrite starting on Saturday, July 28th at 9 a.m. You guys, I guarantee this will sell out because Cora. Come on, it's Cora, and mm -hmm. all of them are going to be there. You should be there too. Go meet them, buy a book, get it signed, hear stories. It's going to be fantastic, so make sure to check that out. And then last, that brings us to what we've been watching. So, Jeff, what have you been watching? So I saw Incredibles 2. Woo! Yes. I was one of those people that made it historic as far as box office. Yeah, it, I liked it. It was really fun. It was great being back with that family again, watching this family go on another adventure. I will say I didn't like it as much as the first, but the first one is so acclaimed and such a big thing it's hard to compare really mm -hmm. but i did like it the only things i would count against it i didn't love the villain or the motivations of the villain but as far as watching them use their powers and work together as a family that was really fun there's a sequence where elastigirl is on a motorcycle that's just really cool nah this isn't spoilers where she's on the motorcycle and it splits in two. She, this is just how she uses the motorcycle. So she can control one part of the motorcycle on one part of the road and the back part of the motorcycle on another part of the road. It was just really cool and made me go, wow, you know, a Fantastic Four movie 
in the Marvel Universe could be amazing because they could do this stuff in live action as well. So that was really exciting. But I also want to talk about the short before the movie. I know no, you know Domi Shi, the mm-hmm. creator of the short, and it was so good. It was such a touching story and probably my favorite Pixar short since I can remember. Oh, wow. Yeah. The animation was beautiful. I love the quirky character designs, all the little details in the background, in the Chinese restaurant, in the Chinese hall. It was just beautiful. And the story, I don't want to spoil it, but it really was touching at the end and not a hit you over the head way. <laughs> it was subtle. We demand that you feel. Yes. Yeah. It was kind of like, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of the stages I went nice. through. <laughs> so I'm excited to see where she goes from here because I'm going to be following her and seeing what else she comes up with. My hope is directing a feature. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll, I would we'll love see. that. That'd yeah. be great. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. And I look forward to seeing the movie one day. Yes. One day we'll see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so on TV, I've been watching FLCL, Fully Cooley, the original, because... The new one's coming out, FLCL Progressive. Actually, it's already come out. But my TiVo ate the first episode. Oh, for you, TiVo. Yes. So I have two through four, whatever it's on right now. And I have to wait till they replay it. And so in the meantime, I'm watching the original Fully Cool. It's so good. The animation is amazing. I love how abstract it gets and absurd. And it's just really fun to watch. The direction and editing is just... I was sitting there with my iPad and stylus just kind of drawing some of the sequences because it's just kind of mind-blowing what they do with this. And the way they mix in such weird things like manga panels. Like, you know, all of a sudden you're watching the animation, then it'll turn into black and white manga panels, and then it'll go back to something else. It's just really cool and really fun to watch again. So, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen FLCL? I need to rewatch it because... I saw it when it was originally aired on Adult Swim mm-hmm. way back when, but I didn't catch all of it. Yeah. And so to this day, I really like the show. I don't understand what it's actually about. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the very first episode, a couple episodes in the middle, and then I saw the very last episode, right. but not in order. So I remember they, because I don't know if Adult Swim still does this. I imagine they do, but they used to... They would play the entire anime out, and mm-hmm. then sometimes they would replay it, but then sometimes they'd have a break for a couple of months, and then they would bring it back later. Right. And so I saw a lot of episodes in two or three chunks over mm-hmm. the span of about a year and a half. <laughs> so I just remember thinking, this animation's great. These characters are cool. Something's growing out of a kid's head. Yes. There's a television robot. There's a woman on a moped <laughs> and a guitar, and there's a giant iron yes. in the middle of a hill. Uh-huh. Huh? So I just remember being very confused. <laughs> yeah. I don't think seeing it in a linear fashion is make going to make it oh, no. make any more sense because it is really absurd. But yeah. And back then, DVRs weren't as prevalent either. So it's like you're catching it on your VCR if you can get it to... Ah, I was just catching it, catching it live. late at night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this time it's on Adult Swim's Toonami Block. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So hopefully I'll catch up with that. Yeah. No. Oh. 
hopefully rewatch the whole thing and then rewatch Progressive as well. Yes. And then we also had the opportunity to go to the Asipa Hollywood screening of Hotel Transylvania 3. Summer Vacation. Summer Vacation. It was really, really fun. So the movie was a lot of fun. And at the end, they also had a great Q&A where... Gindy Tarnikovsky and several of the members of the team were there to answer audience questions. And I also just want to give a shout out to Asifa Hollywood and all the fantastic people that work and volunteer there because not only did we get to see it at Chinese Theater 6, but they also gave us coupons for parking, which we really appreciated. And they provided free popcorn and soda and bottles of water, which I have to tell you, even at 10.30 in the morning, it was hot. So being able to get free water, that was very pleasant perk (laughs) so thank you and movie was a lot of fun i have to say i really liked all of the gags it Mm -hmm. felt like watching a warner brothers cartoon for an hour and a half the gags were really fun i did enjoy the story of hotels one and two a little bit better i think the story for hotel three is fun but i particularly like the story for hotel two because i just thought that just resonated a, a lot with me but Hotel 3 is definitely the funniest one Hmm. out of all three of them. Just the gags were just great. And just getting to hear people in the audience laugh. I love being (laughs) in an audience where people are just with it and just laughing and having a really good time. Mm -hmm. There was a lady right behind us. I don't know if you heard her, but she was was, into it. She was into it. It was fun listening to her. Yeah, yeah. She actually enhanced the movie because every gag, she was like laughing Mm -hmm. or saying something. It was like Yeah, her and the people of her, we were in the right spot because we were like, oh, we're with the fun people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked it too. I thought the animation was so good. The animation. You know, just watching the animation is funny itself. Just... Mm -hmm. That pose-to-pose technique that Mm -hmm. Gendy uses, and he talked about during the Q&A, is just, you don't really see it in modern computer-generated animation. You know, it's very, it's a defined look that he kind of has the corner on, and it's just fun to see. It must be maddening for, like, the people rigging the animation and for the animators themselves, but wow, it's really beautiful to the eye, yeah. I agree, and I just want to give props to Sony Animation as a whole, because I've noticed that a lot of their movies are that way. You know, Mm. I think specifically with Cloudy, with A Chance of Meatballs, for example, as well as the Hotel Transylvania movies, they're doing things with computer animation that, like you said, other studios just aren't doing. Mm -hmm. Other studios just don't have that type of comedic timing and flexibility with their characters. And the thing that the Hotel franchise does really well is that you feel like you're watching a cartoon. And I like that a lot. It's Mm -hmm. like you're watching a cartoon, you're watching something funny, there's a lot of gags, just all the antics and all the action and anticipation for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's just very engaging and very fun. So kudos to everybody who worked on the movie and y'all will be able to see it soon. Mm -hmm. By the time this podcast comes out, it won't even be out yet. It's coming out on Friday the 13th, which is very appropriate. (laughs) So make sure to go to the theater and see that. Mm -hmm. And then that brings us to our main event. So we're very happy to welcome back Alex Salzberg for part two of the interview and in part two he goes into more depth about teaching as well as all the freelance opportunities that he does and the different events that he has set up around the boston area for boston animators so jeff how did you feel about part two 
Yeah, I agree with all that. Hearing someone's take on the animation scene outside of LA was really cool. And one of my favorite things about the interview is his answer to the what would you change question at the end. I thought he had a really unique take on it. So I did too. Mm -hmm. I did too. That was really good. So without further ado, we're happy to present episode 75, Interview with Alex Salzberg, part two. So I want to talk about all of the events that you do in Boston, because you do some yeah. really cool events through Animatic Boston. Yes. So let's talk about Oh, I'm that. very proud of Animatic Boston. It's yeah. been really exciting. We just had our three-year anniversary, which is insane, because I still feel like it's the thing I just started doing. So I've been in Boston for most of my animation career, but every so often I come out to L.A. and like I have a lot of friends out here, and it, that's always really helpful. Um, I don't have any intention of moving here, but I'm always like, it is really nice to like have more of a community here. And it felt like that wasn't happening in Boston. Like we have tons of talented people there. We have a lot of animation schools in Boston. So a ton of students, um, some really cool companies in Boston and just not a lot of community or we didn't. And I remember I had a friend of mine, shout out to Ian. Um, <laughs> he and I, we were, t- we would teach classes every summer, animation classes. And at lunch, we'd whine about it. We'd go, ah, I wish there were more animation events. Whenever we visit our friends in LA, there's always like a talk or a panel or a party or whatever. And we whined about it for probably like five years. <laughs> And then finally, I was like, why don't we just make this? And I had no idea how to run an event. I'd never done just the boring stuff of like reserving a venue or booking a guest. Like I'd never done any of that. But we were like, let's figure out how to do it. And I knew that there was a group in Toronto doing it because I'd heard their founder, Barry, on a podcast. So I found Barry on Facebook and emailed him. I was like, hey, can I pick your brain? I have like a few questions about how to start an animation group. He, and this is like a prime example of animators being the most supportive people. He'd never met me. He Skyped with me for like two hours. Oh, wow. Basically, like, it was like a crash course in like starting an animation group. Like he, and then at the end, he was like, so their group was called Animatic T.O. And we were in a call ours, I think Keyframe Boston or something, something animation related in the word mm-hmm. Boston. And he was like, no pressure, but if you want to call yourselves Animatic Boston, we've always loved the idea of having like a spinoff group or like a sister group, you know? And I was like, interesting and then Ian and I talked about it and we realized that actually helped us book guests at the beginning because we could say we're a spinoff of a really successful Toronto group and people could go google animatic to and see that they were like a real thing and it made us look more real and then we eventually became real (laughs) um so that really helped and yeah we um kind of just figured it out we found a venue that is like really affordable and the venue handles. So it, if you're in a, a, any random city across the country, look for a venue that both already serves drinks and food and sets up a microphone for you and a projector. I don't know if this exists everywhere. We maybe just got lucky, but like we didn't have, so all we had to do was come in with our guest and like, you know, set up like our tickets at the door and whatever. And the venue handled the bar and handled the AV setup and everything. And so we just started doing monthly events where we usually get a guest speaker from the Boston community. We've had some really cool people over the years. Our first guests were, I don't think they're in Boston anymore, but uh, Lindsay and Alex Smallbutera, who do Batman, Piderman, mm-hmm. which is a really popular web series and really funny. Um, yeah. They are great. We've had Tom Snyder, the co-creator of Dr. Katz and Home Movies. We recently had Patrick McHale, who did Over the Garden Wall. Um, and that event was very popular. We raised $1,000 for charity, which was really exciting. Oh, that's wonderful. So yeah, we just kind of... And the events are either they'll give a talk 
or we'll do a Q&A. And because we were the only ones running it, I was like, oh, I guess I have to interview these people. And that falls, again, under that category of things I didn't know I would love doing. And I actually really like interviewing other animators, which I imagine you like that as well. Oh, very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. again, it was the same thing with this. It's like, well... All right. <laughs> you know, read a couple of books, practice, yeah. practice with your friends, and then there you go. Exactly. And it was, it was definitely, and so, yeah, we've been going for three years. I'm hoping it just keeps going and we're trying to branch out into like more other kinds of events. We've been wanting to do like some figure drawing nights and we've been doing some like drink and draws and things like that. So yeah, it's been super exciting. And I've met so many amazing friends like you know I felt like I had some animation friends in Boston but now I feel like I really do have an animation community there which is really cool I like that y'all started it yourselves <laughs> I like that you know you looked out you didn't see it like why isn't this here and then decided well then we'll just make it Since yeah it's not here we'll figure this out that's my advice about anything is like just I mean that was kind of my advice about business too like don't feel like you have to like I mean yes business school is really a good idea for some people <laughs> I don't mean like never go to business school but if you want to start like a small thing it's okay to be self-taught. It's okay to like, I mean, do your research. Don't, you know, we did our research and I talked to someone who'd already done a successful thing. But if you find it fun to start things on your own, like, what are you waiting for? Just do it. And we waited many years of complaining before doing it. But <laughs> That's okay, though. Yeah. yeah. And talking about these events, it sounds like it's a great opportunity for networking for animators in Boston. We know that networking is a huge tool in L.A., yeah. Burbank. Is it as big a tool in Boston? I think it? so. It's hard. Boston, and I can't really speak to, I can only really speak to the 2D world of Boston because um, I just don't know as much about what's going on with 3D and um, video game animation. Although I think that is growing a little bit in Boston, especially video game stuff. What's hard with Boston and what I hope changes over the years is there just aren't that many jobs. Like mm. definitely if you want to work in TV or features, you kind of have to move to LA. Like, mm -hmm. But if you want to be a freelancer or work on web stuff or educational stuff or motion graphics, there are opportunities in Boston and it's kind of growing. It kind of shrunk for after a while because Soup to Nuts, which was the only studio doing TV animation at the time, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> they closed their doors about two years ago um, and they employed, I think, like 50 or so animators at their peak or maybe more. Um, someone who worked there, like Sarah Johnson, could probably answer that question better. So Boston kind of has shrunk in terms of jobs. That said, I think, yeah, networking is definitely really important. But also, I've found in the animation world, I don't like calling it networking. I think this sounds very like kids on the playground, but like making friends is the more important thing. And it doesn't mean you, everyone has to be your best friend. But I always feel like I've gotten so many more opportunities from friends and acquaintances who I'd consider peers than from like higher up big wig animation people. You know, like so much more of my success has been a friend being like, hey, they need an extra person on this project. Or like, hey, someone asked me to do this project and I don't have time, but I told them you do this kind of thing. Or like, I don't do this kind of work because I'm working full time at Nickelodeon. So, <laughs> but they do need an animator. And those are the kind of relationships you can make at an animation event. Event. And certainly I've made I've made a lot of those friendships at Animatic Boston and I've definitely have a lot of friendships like that out here, which is why I do like to come out here in addition to sun in the winter, <laughs> which is like not having to shovel snow. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, but one thing that was a huge goal, weirdly, when we started, I always said, like, I don't want Animatic Boston to feel like a networking event. Mm -hmm. And in that I didn't want people who came to feel like there was this pressure to, like, get a job from it or, like, hand out as many business cards as possible. Because I've been to, just because I've, I've been to like startup e network events to try and get clients and stuff. And I just, I hate them. <laughs> I really do. I hate that atmosphere of everyone entering a conversation with this weird thing. And you can feel it of like, what can I get out of this conversation? And I don't want the conversations at Animatic Boston to feel like, what can I get out of this? I want it to feel like we both love the same things and love this industry and love art. And um, maybe we'll be friends. And then the more friends you have in the art world, like the more opportunities kind of show themselves. Do you have any tips for talking to new people when you're at animatic events? <laughs> and I ask this Ooh. because we've been to a lot of mixers. We meet a lot yeah. of people. And especially people that are new out of school or people that don't yet have work. There's sometimes this feeling of desperation. Mm-hmm. So... How do you avoid that? Or how do you recommend people avoid that? Yeah, I do have tips. It is really tough because with the exception of a few people, I think everyone's nervous about any social situation. Or I like to think so, because I definitely am. And I always joke that if I didn't run Animatic Boston, I wouldn't go to all of them because I'd be at home being like, oh, I'm already in pajamas. (laughs) You know, um, like I run it so that I have to go because like someone has to like bring the cash box and like ask the questions (laughs) or whatever. And even I and I haven't been to the last couple and it's still running. So like we have like a lot of other people helping out, too. It's not just me running it. I want to give a lot of credit to like the other people who and it's all volunteer who run the animatic. But I found definitely, like what I said before, don't feel like you're going to get something from that conversation. I remember at one event, three students came up to me. It was kind of adorable, but they just walked up and they were like, here's our business cards. And they like left them on the table and walked away. And it was very weird. And I was like, okay. And like one of their business cards didn't even have like any website or email on it. So I think it was just, I found out later, I think their, their teacher from their school had said like, your assignment tonight at Animatic Boston is to hand out at least three business cards, you know? And I was like, all right, well, you passed on a technicality. (laughs) (laughs) The checkbox check. Yeah. So let's see. I'm trying to think what I tell. So I teach a couple of animation classes at Mount Ida College in Newton, Massachusetts. Before Animatic events, I'll give my students advice. So I'm trying to think what I tell them. One big thing is people really like to answer questions about themselves usually i'm enjoying it right now (laughs) people really like talking about themselves so when in doubt just ask someone like a cool question about their work i think in general not everyone but people really like giving advice and helping there's this weird thing i heard it on some podcast and that's how i start every fact i have because i listen to too many podcasts and never write down where i heard stuff but it's called the Ben Franklin effect. I love talking about this. It's um, supposedly the story is Ben Franklin had like an arch nemesis in like the Continental Congress or whatever, and they hated each other. And that guy never wanted to help Ben Franklin get like his ideas through on whatever document they were working on at the time. I need to review American history, I think. Um, <laughs> they were working on something important, I'm sure, um, in that Congress. But uh, they... That guy was always, so Ben Franklin realized, and, and he would always try to help that guy. He'd always be like, oh, here, like, let me lend you this book, or let me, like, 
give you this kite. I don't know how he would help him. But, um, and then he realized, why don't I try something different? Why don't I ask this guy to help me with something? And he, they both had libraries. And Ben Franklin said, hey, I cannot find this book for this library. I know you hate me, but like, I know you have this book. Could you possibly lend me this book? And the guy helped him. And then Franklin noticed that that guy started being nicer to him. And I don't know if that story is true, but there is some evidence that if you're helping someone with something, you then like them better. And I think maybe it's your brain going, well, I'm helping them, so I must like them. <laughs> like, it's like a, a thing. So like definitely asking for help. Uh, not everyone likes to help people. You're going to run into people who are like, sorry, I don't have time. Or maybe they do like helping people, but they legitimately don't have time. But asking not a favor so much as like just advice or, hey, could we maybe grab coffee sometime? I'll buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brain for a half hour. Things like that. In my experience, those coffees or those like email advice things end up turning into relationships and friendships in the business. So definitely don't be afraid to like ask for something. And that tends to work better than just walking into a situation and be like, here's what I do. Here's my portfolio. Look at me. Look at me. And it's not that people don't want to see other animators work. Like, I always like to see other animators work. It's that it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Or someone may just come home and put their your business card on their desk and not remember. But what they might remember is, oh, who's that person that I gave, that student that I gave a bunch of advice to, like, last month? I think they might be graduating. Let me look at their demo reel, you know? Definitely that. And then the other thing I tell my students is, this sounds mean. I always say, don't be a weirdo. And that sounds mean. I don't mean don't be unique or like interesting or whatever, because everyone's a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. (laughs) What I mean is like, don't go into situations thinking, and I know I just talked about the Franklin effect and whatever, but in general, don't go into situations thinking there's some weird secret code that like will trick people into liking you or will trick people into helping you. And this is true, not just for networking, but for like friendships and for dating. There's no like magic words you can say in a conversation that (laughs) will make someone give you a job. And I think sometimes people forget like talk to someone the same way that if they talk to you would seem normal if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like and I think you see this a lot at like especially Q&A's like a lot of people seem to be asking their question to the person on stage in a way that they think some magical thing is going to happen and they'll be best friends with that person now yeah And it's hard. And I'm, I know it's hard once you're on the spot and asking the question. It might, maybe it just comes out weird and it's awkward. Like, I, you know, I'm sure I've accidentally said weird, awkward <laughs> questions and whatever, but there's not like a magical way to get someone to like you or want to help you. It really is just building relationships the same way you would build a friendship. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with everyone in the industry, but you can be like a good acquaintance with a lot of people in the industry. And if they think of you fondly, and that doesn't mean you have to be like really outgoing or really funny. You know, just have to be someone where they're like, oh, I like that person. That is solid advice. Thank you, because we've been talking about that a lot mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. Just it's... good ways to network and <laughs> yeah. ways not to network and things we'd seen and heard. Right. And just wondering what other people's opinions are on that. Yeah, it's easier said than done. I mean, yeah. whenever I'm out in L.A., it's usually only for a few weeks. And there usually is like a list of people. There's the friends I want to catch up with, both in animation and just friends. And then there's also the people that I'm like, it would be good to meet with so-and-so while I'm here. And... I used to go into those meetings like really nervous because like, okay, by the end of this meeting, they have to know that like I want work or that like I want to pitch something or they have to like then go watch my films on my website. And those meetings after never felt 
good after. And now my approach is I'm just going to have a really nice cup of coffee with this person. I'll ask for advice. And then also like, we'll talk about the weather or whatever, LA or Mm -hmm. Hawaii or whatever, you know, like whatever we're going to talk about. And those have more often turned into opportunities because then they're just thinking of me as like, oh, a person they know that might be available, Mm -hmm. you know? And it sounds like that takes the pressure off. Yeah. of that meeting then and then there's not as much disappointment right <laughs> right it takes the pressure off for me and probably uh-huh. for them yeah, i'd imagine absolutely. because like i think nobody wants to necessarily go to coffee if they feel like it's a job interview on either end right you know yeah they um, probably don't want to disappoint the other person too it's like i don't have work right mm-hmm. now for this person i just do want yeah. to just spend time with them or vice versa they know oh we can just talk right it's mm-hmm. fine yeah no one wants to be put in the position to turn people down all the time and mm-hmm. like yeah that's inevitable in like a job interview situation but if you're just at a meeting or networking event keep it to just building I like to use the term building relationships because like there are people I met 11 years ago who I maybe haven't heard from in years and they'll email and be like hey are you available and like if 11 years ago I had assumed oh well that didn't go well (laughs) I was wrong yeah (laughs) because it did they just they remembered me maybe they like searched back in their email they typed animator and I popped up yeah or they could have been thinking of the whole time right maybe now they have a project though this yeah. is for Alex. Yeah. yeah. And you don't come off as such a weirdo if you aren't putting so much pressure right. on yeah. yourself. Totally. And I get it because, like, I often feel desperate for work. You know, yeah. there are many yeah, times yeah. where, like, God, if, if I don't, if this doesn't turn into something. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't want to put that energy on anyone else. Yeah. And it's a lot of weight to have that energy yourself. I get it. It's hard. Totally. But it doesn't help to spread that energy around. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to you about, you mentioned teaching. Yeah. And that sounds really fun. It sounds like a lot of work. It also sounds like you're very good at it since you've been doing it for a while. And you're I hope teaching so. America's <laughs> youth here. So how did you get involved with teaching? And what is it that you're able to convey to students that are that young? Yeah. So I teach students ages 5 to 25, oh, pretty okay. much. Mm-hmm. All Not all at the same time, always. Although last fall I did. I had a class of kindergartners and a class of college seniors. Different. The kindergartners weren't at the college <laughs> <laughs> so I got into it when I was a teenager. I started working at summer camps and sometimes I'd just be like a general counselor, like, you know, here's snack, here, let's play soccer, whatever. And sometimes I'd work at, I started working more at like art camps where I could teach animation and cartooning. And that was actually like for some of these art camps, they didn't always have that opportunity to have an animation teacher because I was sort of, I was a high schooler who had taught himself how to animate. So at that time I was teaching mostly elementary school kids and middle school kids and I did that for many years. The after-school program where I worked, that was more like, that was kind of like being a counselor, but I got a chance to bring a lot of animation activities into it, which was cool. So with young kids, my goal is always just, I mean, this sounds cheesy, but always just like, I want them to have fun doing it. I kind of want them to feel the fun of making animation that I felt when I was that age because I assume they took the class because they think it will be fun Mm -hmm. so I'm never like oh they have to understand like ease in and ease out or like you know (laughs) or like they have to come out of this like on the track to animation I want the kids to like enjoy being creative and create a space for that so with like really young kids a lot of it is just showing them that magic of like And they're so spoiled because kids can animate on an iPad now. Whereas, like, I had to figure out how to do it. We would edit our videos with two VCRs, you know, like. (laughs) And they just have apps for it, which I'm jealous of. But, like, showing them, like, okay, if you move this clay ball over five times and take five pictures and then I do this and you get that moment of, like, whoa, you know. (laughs) 
And I found the two most accessible things for little kids are I love doing Lego animation with them, especially because like the Lego movie and all there's like, I think 3000 Lego TV shows now. (laughs) That property is like, and I grew up loving Legos. Like Mm -hmm. I made Lego animation growing up and that is very accessible. And then I do some, I guess the real word is pixelation, which is a weird name because you think of like pixel art, Mm -hmm. but animation using like people. So I call it human animation in my classes (laughs) and patent pending. Um, (laughs) And so, like, stop motion with them in it. For the first project, I will just stand behind the camera and just tell them where to go. And they're always, like, a little confused as, like, how it's going to work. But I'll, I'll always... I do the same one every time. <laughs> I have... Let's say there are five kids. I say, all right, you four are running away from kid number five, who's a monster. Kid number five, you have to hold this pose in every shot. When you get the other four, when they get to the wall, mm-hmm. with each frame, they press closer against it, and then they disappear into the wall. They move off camera. Okay. And then the monster, when they get to the wall, they bounce off of it and fall down. Uh-huh. And when you play it, you have this really dynamic animation of kids. So they're not even running. They're just sliding along the floor like Legos, like <laughs> sliding into the wall, like uh-huh. sort of disappearing, like I Dream of Genie style into the wall. <laughs> and then the monster bounces off. And because the kid's not actually falling, they're leaning back frame by frame and then suddenly on the ground yeah it actually looks really like funny because it's like just how you'd animate it uh-huh. you would you would not have a lot of in-betweens there yeah <laughs> so there's this impact and like that always like gets them so excited about yeah. animating and like realizing that oh thinking of it one frame at a time which is hard for younger kids and then like Older kids really kind of figure out that stuff right away. And then it's about just giving them time to create what they want to create. And then college kids is very new to me. And that is when I feel the most like imposter syndrome, which I'm sure other people have talked about in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, wait, wasn't I just in college? Even though that was 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like I was just in college. And I'm like, now I'm a college teacher. But I've actually found with that, the more personal I make it and not personal in like a weird boundaryless <laughs> way I don't mean like because we've all had those college professors who are like oh my divorce and yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, yeah I'm not going this? through a divorce but yeah <laughs> but like I, I don't mean that kind of personal yeah. but I mean you know because at first I was really intimidated I was like what if I'm not teaching them enough what if I'm not preparing them because that they are paying a lot of money to spend time with me yeah <laughs> and possibly paying that money for many years to come. So I was really nervous. And then I realized like, oh, I was hired because of my specific experience. So like the more I can tell them based on my experience, the more I'm actually preparing them. And that's what my best college professors did. And that helps. I still sometimes feel like, oh God, who am I to teach the youth? (laughs) Um, But I've found I really, really like working with college students. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun because they're like almost adults. Mm-hmm. I would guess too that they would enjoy listening to you because you're currently working yeah. in the industry because that was the issue that I had with a lot of my teachers where some of them were current and some of them weren't current and the ones that weren't current what they had to say fundamental wise was very good but then you're going you don't know what it's like out there anymore yeah. you're not out there anymore I agree and the, the college professors I gravitated toward were the ones who still did freelance work and they could tell me like what it's still like so yeah, and I think different students will have different teachers they gravitate towards based on like what they're interested in. And I hope I'm a good resource for someone who, and I tell my students too, like I kind of taught a business of animation class last semester. And I kind of say like, most animators will do some kind of freelance work at some point in their career. So even if you get a job at Nickelodeon next month when you graduate, 
awesome, you still may have to do some freelance work. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of jobs you get in animation out of college that you do until you're 65 and then retire to a boat. (laughs) Um, You know? Yeah. Yeah, and with YouTube and you've got to be really relevant, I'm sure, for these kids because that's where it is for a lot of them. Yeah. Putting their animation up on YouTube. So you making a business out of that. Right. That's got to be very valuable to them. Although I've never made any money from YouTube. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And it's harder now than ever if anyone else has gotten those emails. Yeah. Well, at least independent animation and not studios. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I like to hope I'm bringing like a different voice to Mm -hmm. it. Great. And I want to talk about your podcast. Oh, we were okay. talking about that before the show started. Absolutely. It's very funny. Thank so you. you. Thank you for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as soon as we found out we are going to have a guest, I'm like, oh, and he does a show too. Yeah. Let's listen to it. Okay. Yeah, I'll promote it. So, yeah, so go for um, it. It's uh, called Not Uncut. The theme is a podcast about growing up. And every episode we cover something about growing up. We've done uh, we just recorded one about school dances, which will come out soon. We've done stuff about like first kisses, driver's ed. We did one about AOL Instant Messenger. Um, <laughs> we did one about bar mitzvahs because uh, two out of the three of us are Jewish. And so my co-host um, Harley, he and I grew up together, and then we have a third person who's anonymous, and he goes by Goy Boy because he's the only non-Jewish person. <laughs> um, he didn't grow up with us. He's a newer friend, so he's kind of our. He keeps us from going too far into things that are inside jokes or whatever because he'll be like wait you have to explain this um so yeah we started about a year ago we just um had kind of a hiatus and then we're coming back in a couple of weeks uh, and we come out every two weeks we're on apple and everywhere podcasts are as far as i know um and so you can subscribe and yeah it's really fun every episode is just like 30 40 minutes it's us telling stories sometimes we have guests come on and tell stories we had a woman who won nickelodeon's guts come on on one episode that's a really fun one we had people tell overnight camp horror stories we had people call in with nickelodeon shows that scarred them as a kid (laughs) so uh yeah it's a lot of fun it's very much like a silly side project and it's kind of nice to have something that's not it's still very creative but it's not animation related which is actually I really like having. That's good. And I just want to give, again, we mentioned it before the show, but shout out for the driver's ed episode. Oh, thank because you. <laughs> as we were talking, everyone had weird driver's ed teachers. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, I learned how to drive in Houston, Texas, and all of our teachers were weird. Yeah. And so it was, it was actually very comforting to know, oh, this wasn't just where I had to learn driver's ed. This probably is a universal. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's our hope is that like the stories we tell make people remember like funny, weird stories from their childhoods. And mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to hear a story about my driver's ed teacher who spit popcorn kernels out the window while I drove, yeah. let's listen to, uh, I think it's the most recent episode of Not Uncut, it's called. Very cool. Well, you have given some amazing advice. Thank you, I hope so. stories for people, and we're always very curious if you could go back in time and talk to younger Alex. Oh boy. Is there any advice that you would give your younger self? Okay, give me like a minute. Right. There's probably a million things. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, obviously I'll say the cliche thing of like, not too much because I like where I am in life now and I don't want to change it. But uh, definitely um, don't postpone happiness and that don't assume that you'll finally be happy or content and can take a sigh of relief when you get blank or when you get this job or make this amount of money on a project or get to do this kind of project because... The sad part of that is that those, like, big highs do wear off. But the happy part of that is that, like, if you focus on just, like, enjoying what you're doing as you're doing it, 
you won't need those big highs as much like because you'll have like a really nice middle <laughs> um so like i think i i used to and it still happens i still have days where i'm like oh man i wish i was this far in my career i wish i was as good as this person i just saw post a drawing on twitter or whatever and that doesn't help you do the work uh the bottom line is like if i actually went back in time i'd say to my younger self i'd say hey, guess what you're doing? <laughs> you know, like, and that, he'd be so excited. Like, if I went back to the kid making little Lego animations, was like, that's your job. <laughs> he'd be, not Lego animation, but well, kind of, because I do, I do make Lego animation with the kids, you know? So, yeah, everything. And so actually, like, I legitimately started, this is weird, but I started keeping a list of things I'm proud of in my career so that when I am having a day where I'm like, oh, I haven't done anything. I'm a fake animator and everyone else is an amazing career and I don't because we all have those days or if not, congratulations. <laughs> but um, I keep saying we all, but like a lot of us, I would guess. A lot of my friends have expressed similar things and I actually will just look at that list and be like, oh, this is stuff that's really cool that if I did have the time machine went back even two years and said, if I went back two years and told myself, you're going to be interviewed on a cool animation podcast in LA with some cool people you met like two years ago me would be like that's awesome I can't wait <laughs> you know so like thinking like that and just like thinking about your life as a whole being like happy animation not animation everything as a whole being like good rather than being like I need that next thing I need that next thing would be I guess the other thing I'll say and I'd say this to anyone if I went back in time I'd say mental health should be the top priority 100% mm. above animation above physical health because I think that falls into place a little more if your mental health is good but yeah, because that's something I didn't know until a few years ago. I agree with that statement 100%. Yeah. It's like you need to, yeah. you need to be okay right. with you and know yep. how to set good boundaries for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's not just for artists, but mm -hmm. like there's definitely a Venn diagram of artists and people who I think struggle with mental health. And there's the added cultural thing of like, well, you're mentally unhealthy because you're an artist. So like, don't lose your creative edge. It's like, no, no. you won't lose it. <laughs> You'll just have... Because you're still going to have anxious thoughts that you can turn into cool drawings. That anxious thought just won't make you, like, lie in bed for a week. Yeah. <laughs> you can start drawing sooner. You'll be able to go outside. Yeah. And make friends and be healthy. Right. Like, don't worry. You won't lose your weird, crazy, anxious <laughs> thoughts. Or maybe some people did. And again, congratulations. But, like, yeah. you know, you'll just... Yeah. Mental health is so important. I try and spread that around as much as possible. That is fantastic. Cool. Well, Alex, where can people find you online? Okay. Pokegravy.com. P-O-K-E-G-R-A-V-Y. URL I've had for like 20 years. <laughs> that, you can see a lot of my stuff. If you just Google my name, probably a lot of stuff I've worked on will pop up. Um, and then you can subscribe to Not Uncut if you want to hear me talk about not animation, but just like embarrassing things that happened to me as a child. <laughs> um, and probably the social network I'm most active on is Instagram, where I'm at Lex Salzberg. Like, think of the at symbol as the A in my name. Um, and I post a mix of animation I'm working on and, like, what I ate for breakfast. It's all there together. <laughs> but I'm more active on that than Twitter and Facebook, probably. Well, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your time here in L.A. to come and talk with us today. Thank you. This is, I mean, this is why I'm in L.A. to meet other cool animation professionals. So this was so much fun. I really enjoyed talking about this stuff. Thanks. We enjoyed having you. <laughs> Thanks. And that concludes our interview with Alex. Special thanks to Alex for being a wonderful guest. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review in iTunes 
All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side. All of your donations help us to pay for the technical costs associated with running the show. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, you can visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And Jeff, where can people find you? People can find me at jeffbot.com. And they can find me at jeffbot, J-E-F-B-O-T, on Twitter and Tumblr. And they can find me on Instagram at shootzee, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. Excellent. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website at www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. And we just want to let everyone know that we will be on hiatus for the rest of the month of July, and we will be returning with all new episodes in August. So that's it for this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.